Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to learn from you, learn about you, and because your presence is here, learn with you. We ask that the spirit of the living God would fall fresh on us and that you would teach us about yourself, that you would reveal more about you, and then you'd reveal more about us, and we'd see the distance between us and you. We want to be more like you, and so we praise God for you, Lord. We we honor you this afternoon, and we give ourselves to you again. You are our Lord again. Today, we give ourselves to you, and we give our ears, our eyes, our emotions to you, and we ask that you would lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't we give it up for our baptism candidates again. It's always exciting to see people get baptized, exciting to do a baptism one month and do a baptism another month. That's a really cool thing. And I love seeing baptism because it is a huge statement of someone saying, I am trusting you, Jesus. In a lot of ways, what we say is when someone is trusting in Christ, we are saying that you are now making Jesus your Lord. Now, in a Roman era, that meant something much different. But in our time, that means, Jesus, you are the authority of my life. You are the leader of my life. And what's actually happening is you're moving from self-leadership to Christ's leadership. You're saying, I'll follow. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Now, it's a package deal, though, because, man, it's so awesome trusting in Christ. You get the promises of God. You know you are eternally secure. We have all these great things that happen because of our relationship with God. But along with the promises come trials, come obstacles, come pain, come persecution. And so with trust comes trials. And through those trials, our faith gets shaken. And we begin to doubt. We begin to question and we begin to wonder. And that doubting that happens, the good news is that when you look in the Bible and you look at the disciples... You look at the first people in the Bible, 100% of them doubted. 100% of them. Nobody was, you know, when Christ went into the tomb, nobody was waiting there for him to arise. They all were shocked because they had stopped believing in that particular area. Everybody doubts at some point. And if we're honest about the season we're in as a church, I am really excited about gathering back together. But I know for certain that there are some people that are wondering, they're not saying when, they're saying if I come back. And you know people like that right now. You know, I I had never heard the phrase deconstructing my faith. I just had never heard that phrase. Everybody's deconstructing right now. And it's another way of saying I'm clarifying what I really believe. And through those doubts, that is actually a healthy thing. Because all doubt is directional. Doubt is intended to move you closer to God. But doubt 
that is unhealthy moves you further away from God. Doubt is something that's going to happen. You look in the, in the Bible, <laughs> you see this young man who has a son, and his son is having seizures. And as the boy is having seizures, Jesus is right there in front of him. And he's like, yo, my, my, my son, he, he's, he's having these seizures. He's jumping into fire and jumping into water. And Jesus says, believe. And he says, I, no, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like, I'm, no, no, no. I believe you're great. You're amazing. Yeah, no. But in this particular area, I'm trusting you for the health of my son. Help me believe. Because I have doubts that you're going to heal him. Because I don't see it happening. You think about John the Baptist, who was this prolific, pro prolific leader, dynamic He's the one that proclaimed that, here, behold, the Lamb of God. He's the one that said he's not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. He's the one that baptized Jesus. And yet, when he was in a prison cell and he thought he was about to die, he sends the disciples, his disciples, to Jesus and says, look, look, man, are you the one or should we look for another? I, I have questions I need you to answer. And so the reality is, when you begin to trust in the Lord, you're trusting him not just in concept, you're trusting him in specific areas. That's what it means to him for him to be Lord. It means you are the Lord of my entire life, not just my finances and my future. You're the Lord of my identity, my sexuality. You're the Lord of my future and my, my hope all things. So when you don't see him moving in a particular area, you begin to doubt. The person we're going to look at today has classically been understood as a person who's doubted. His name is Thomas in John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, Thomas has this interaction with Jesus after the resurrection. But I want to surmise this afternoon that doubting is not what Thomas was doing. Doubting, the word doubt is actually not in that chapter. It's barely, the word itself is barely in the book of John. Doubt is what we've assigned to Thomas. But I don't believe doubting is what he was doing. I'll tell you in a little bit. Um, so Thomas is a really interesting cat. Thomas is the kind of guy you want on your team. Thomas, one time, Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to go down to Bethany, which is by Jerusalem. And, and all the disciples knew, like, hey, you, you will die if you go down there. Like, you'll get killed. And so the disciples were like, Jesus, don't go down there. You'll die. Thomas turns to the rest of the disciples and says, look, y'all, let's follow him down there so we can die with him. That's the dude I want on my team, you know? Loyal, loyal, ride or die, literally, right? That's the kind of guy I want. So clearly, Thomas is courageous. Thomas is, is Thomas, listen, there, there are some of you that when you came to Christ, you were all in every Bible study. You memorized everything. You were doing everything. You, and, you, and you feel that sense of like, if God is telling me to go there, I'll go there, all in. That's who Thomas is. Very courageous. 
But there's another side to Thomas. <laughs> One time, Jesus was, in John 14, Jesus was talking about going and preparing a place for him. And it was, it's, not, it's like a very flowery message. And, and, you know, Jesus was the mysterious type, right? Like he would talk and, and sometimes people wouldn't know what he was talking about, but it's Jesus. You know what I mean? Like if I was in a Jesus crowd, I'd be like, that was so profound. I wouldn't know what it meant, but I'm like, Jesus, that was amazing, right? That was, that's my personality, right? But Thomas is the kind of guy that Jesus literally says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he says, you know the way. And Thomas literally in John 14 says, we don't know the way. Can you tell us where the way is? This is what the Bible says. He's like, how, he says, how can we know the way? We don't know the way. Like Thomas is that guy. Do you remember that kid in class that lifted up their hand and they would rest their, like they put their, they'd create like an arc just to keep their, because they're like, you're going to answer my, you remember that kid? But some of y'all were that kid. Like you're going to answer these questions today. I need clarity today. Like he's the guy that reads all the instructions. Like he, he needs answers. And so what do we know about Thomas? He's courageous, but he needs clarity. If I'm going to be all in with you, I'd also need to, I need more information. And do you know that the people that I've seen deconstructing their faith the most are the people that were most committed? It was the people that, that were here early. It was the people that stayed late. It was the people that read the most, sang the hardest. Because they're all in. But the isolation of the pandemic took away the warmth of this atmosphere. And then you got to watch a screen. You'd be like, hmm, I don't know. I, just, I mean, yes, but no. Hmm. And the questions started building up, and those questions aren't bad. You see, what doubt really is, it's a, it's a byproduct of having faith. In the book of Hebrews, it's, the, the author there essentially gives us a description of faith. He, he says that it's an assurance of things hoped for, but then he says something very important. He says it's a conviction or it's confidence or it's evidence or it's proof of things not seen. Assurance is a way you could look at it, but proof. Now, would you just sit here for a moment, proof of something you don't see. Now, what happens when you don't see it and you have no proof? You're uncertain that this is going to work out. That's, that's what's happening. If you think back to what the young man said, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but I don't see you doing it. And what he, does, what he does is he presses into Jesus to get more clarity. You see, there are two postures when you feel like you lack evidence, you lack proof to anchor your faith in what you don't see. There is the posture of doubt. And a doubt, when you doubt, you look for proof. You do an investigation. The Bible says you seek God's face. You look for him. Doubting leads to this investigation and you're looking in the word of God. You're, you're praying and you're in fellowship and you are in a posture of saying, I know you're there, God. I know you're doing something, but I'm, I'm just looking and I'm searching for you. I'm chasing after you. So many 
of the Psalms. So many of our songs are about seeking God when you're in a low place, looking for more proof, more evidence. But there's another posture you can have. And that's a posture of, man, I don't see you doing something, God. And I don't know if I like this feeling. And instead of doubting that leads to investigation, you start having demands that lead to interrogation. Hmm. And you get God in a room. Hmm. They call you God, eh? Huh. Oh, okay. I hear you go by the street name Jira. Huh. Huh. Here you're a provider. Is that what they call you? They call you provider? Well, where is it, huh? I want to see it, right? And you get right up in his face and you start saying, I need to see some stuff right now, right? Because demands, when you start demanding, you start interrogating, you have consequences. And what happens is when you, when you have doubts, you investigate because you've invested. But what happens when you interrogate, you are giving the consequence of my divestment. See, that's what happens now. It's like, yo, I got to see this. And if I don't see this, I'm going to moonwalk back, Lord. You better, you better, I'm, I'm going to stop reading my word. I'm going to stop going to church. I'm going to stop praying with folk. Oh, you know, and it's, and it's as if you are telling the Lord, I demand this of you. And can I surmise that this is not doubting Thomas? This is demanding Thomas. Because he has certain specific demands that he must see. And if I don't see it, he don't have me no more. And church, I am not one. I am really not the personality. I barely post my own messages. But I will say this. As we get ready to regather, you need to share this message with some of your friends. You don't even have to share, you don't have to share me. You have to, it doesn't have to be me. Take notes, memorize, read the verse. But I'm saying this philosophy of I'm going to do my own thing got trumped up while we were isolated. And that's not just because of a pandemic. That's because of God's pruning. Because the nature of the Holy Spirit is to press into fellowship. And it is indicative of us to be able to encourage and really support people to come back to the fold. We see this demand that Thomas puts on Jesus in the book of John, chapter 20. John 20, if you have it, go there. This is such an interesting moment John has with Jesus. And in John 20... What has already happened is that the disciples have gone to the tomb and seen that it was empty in the book of John. In addition to that, Mary Magdalene has actually seen Jesus. So in the verses right before this, Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, go tell my brothers I'm back. So she goes and tells the disciples, he's back. But they're still living in fear because they just saw the person they love get murdered on a cross. So they have the doors locked and they're in fear. And the Bible says that Jesus comes through those doors and says, peace be with you. 
And so even though they had some evidence, they still weren't convinced. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And Jesus does this thing where he shows them his hands. And he shows them his side. And at this moment, Jesus is doing this simply because these are going to be apostles who are going to go out and share that they saw Jesus rise. And so he's giving this clarifying evidence. Yes, that was real what you saw. But what's interesting is that Thomas wasn't there. Who knows where Thomas was? Now, we know from last week we were talking about Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus. We know why Judas wasn't there. But all the other disciples are there. But Thomas, for whatever reason, isn't there. So Jesus busts in. He's got these 10 disciples there. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. And he's like, look, y'all, you see, I'm really risen. So here's what happens. The disciples in John 20, 24 and 25, they say, uh, it says in uh, verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came, verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen. Now you see the corporate nature of that. We have seen the Lord. But he said, but Thomas says to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You see, you see what he was doing there when he's, he's saying, look, everybody's like, yo, we just saw the Lord. Yo, it was so bugged out. Like, he walked up in here. Yo, you remember, like, we were at the tomb, and we looked in there, and we're like, yo, is Jesus naked? Like, where's his clothes? Well, his clothes are in there, right? And then remember Mary? Mary said it too. But then Jesus came in and said it. Like, he physically walked in. And he, Thomas says, I don't care what he did for Mary. I don't care what you see unless I have a personal experience myself, your words will never convince me. And what he was doing was doing what a lot of people do. They are saying, my personal experience trumps corporate witness. You see, what we have right here is what we go through in that we, we've never actually seen Jesus. Do you know that the Bible is not filled with the words of Jesus? The Bible is filled with the words of an eyewitness of Jesus. This is not an autobiography. This is the telling of a story. This is an encounter someone has had. That's why it's called the New Testament, because it's testifying of an experience and an encounter that one has had. And the truth is that our corporate witness and our ability to testify to one another and with one another allows us to be strengthened in our faith. 
the Bible says in the book of Revelation, when it talked about conquering Satan, it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You see, in this room, right now, there are 40-ish of us. And in this room, do you know, do you know, do you know what some of y'all walked in here with? I'm not talking about how cute you are. I'm not talking about how fresh you look. I'm saying the, the, the conditions of your soul. Do you know that you are sitting next to people that are going through it right now? And they are walking through their faith and they are going through trial after trial. And some people have gone through circumstances you could not imagine. And what fellowship is, is when we spur each other on by seeing us endure and keep going and keep blessing one another. But we are not a room filled with people who fully understand what's going on in our lives. Are you kidding me? I've sat and listened to some of your stories. And they're like, what do you think? I'm like, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. What? But what we are See, we keep going, and there's an obstacle there, and we keep going. That's why it says we overcome, because we keep pressing into Jesus. So we are a room full of overcomers, not understanders. We don't fully comprehend what God is doing. We don't have the faith figured out. We've had an encounter, and we are making, we have faith that's seeking understanding. We're seeking proof. We're gaining clarity. And see, your clarity will strengthen my clarity. And your story will bless my story. And I need you. No, no, we don't want people to come. We need people to come back for my faith. That's how the church is built. The church is not just built on this story of Jesus. It's built on our transformation. And all of our stories coming together. And when all those stories come together, they build up like a storm. And it, it hovers over a city and it begins to build up. And people start saying, what's going on in there? And lives start changing. It is our corporate witness and our testimony. And every now and then you have a person that says, it's different for me. And the Bible says, no temptation to seize you except what is common. Do you know there are cancer survivors in here? You'd never know. They're, so, they're too cute. They just, you, you know, you, they're way too cute for you to think they would survive cancer. There are people who have gone through incredible trauma and they lift their hands, not because it's a good song, but because he's a good God. And they are just holding on to their faith. And there are people who have gone through trial after trial after trial after trial and we need their strength. And we need your strength. That's how we overcome. And so this moment with Thomas is because he has these demands. And eight days go by. And I wonder what it was like with Thomas those eight days. You know, was he sitting around like, okay, but is he, is he resurrected? Why he got scars though? Okay, so how's that look? Okay, when we resurrect, we're going to have holes in it. Like, tell me what that is. Like, I wonder what he was like. Who knows what he was like? But what we do know is that he still didn't believe. The reality of Thomas is that Jesus comes back. He comes back into the room. The scripture says in John, <laughs> 26, 
eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Now, I love the, feel the weight of the moment. Jesus didn't say, hey, y'all, peace be unto you. How y'all doing tonight? Y'all doing good? Good. Hey, Thomas, let's talk. No, he just, he, he steps to Thomas and says, put your finger here. And now I want you to, now, did you hear what I just said? Now, 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 now I need your eyes to see. Put your finger here. What does that indicate? That indicates that Jesus most likely had his hand out like this. Put your finger here. And the, 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 the weight of the moment, and he says, see my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, the shock of that moment is that Jesus was listening with detail, right? Jesus knew every demand. And Jesus busts through the door and meets his demands. And this is the grace of God because what he says next is shocking. You see, the author here, John, what he's doing is he's painting a picture. See, you see, see, here, right? He's giving this imagery, right? And before he says, I got to put my finger there and I got to put my hand on his side. And this is what I got to do. And Jesus comes back and says, okay, here's my hand. Let's go. Now, the author has trumped up this imagery of touching Jesus. And as a good author would, the next verse should say this. It should say, Thomas stretched out his hand and placed his finger in his side. It should say, Thomas stretched out his hand and touched his hand. But it doesn't say that. It says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And what actually happened was that Thomas's demands were essential for him when Jesus wasn't there. But when he, when Jesus pulled up with his demands, most scholars say he didn't even touch him. Think about that. I got to touch him. I got to, hey, G oh, my Lord, my God. Like, what, 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 what happened? What, what happened was he was in awe of his presence and his demands were dissolved by his presence. And there's something about his presence. There's something about being amongst him because he didn't say the Lord. He said, my Lord. He said, oh, my leader. Oh my gosh. And, and I believe that, you see, what is powerful about our walk isn't just the evidence of what he does in your life. It's, it's him. It's knowing him. It's, it's having a relationship with him. That's why he says, my Lord, my God. What it's called is awe. It's being in awe. The word glory literally means weight. It means something heavy. 
It means something massive. It means something with magnitude. I mean, if you've ever been to a mountainside and you just looked up and were in awe, if you've ever been to the side of a building and you were in awe, and imagine if you had a picture of that building for so long, but then you're actually there, staring at it in its presence. And what's happening right now is that people are isolated and the burdens are heavier. The questions are heavier. The thoughts are heavier. The doubts are heavier because you're alone. And the reason why corporate worship is so important, because when we sing and we preach, there's something different about being in this room. The magnitude of his glory is awesome. And it fills the presence of the room. And someone came in here with this burden of, of, of their friendships and they came in here with the burden of finances and they're, they're carrying these burdens and they're just, they come in here, they come in here and they lay these burdens down and then they look up. And the magnitude of God is heavier than the burden. It's weight. And it outweighs the burden. And it's so heavy. It's so massive that it pales in comparison. That's what he said. I need to say, oh my Lord, my God. And he was in awe. And it's harder to be in awe when you're watching church in your sweatpants. Hallelujah. <laughs> because, because you're still in the same environment you were where you were sleeping and you were chilling. It's just harder to be in awe. But when you come in here, there's something about entering into his gates. There, there's something about being in a room of people who have the same focus. That's, that's anywhere. When you go into a room where everybody has the same focus, it actually intensifies your focus. But when everybody is focusing on God, it magnifies his magnitude. It intensifies his majesty. It glorifies him. And what we need is not just a good word. We need to come together under his word. That's why we do church. And that's not for me, I mean, that's not just for you, that's, that's for me too. That's for us. Isolated Christians over time become ineffective Christians. Like a coal that is on a fire, if you take that coal out of that fire, it loses its heat. The fellowship, it's the heat, it's the word. It's the testimony. It's the singing. We need all of that. And so Thomas is in awe. My Lord. My God. And then something powerful happens. At the very end, Jesus does this very cool thing. He tells him something. I would say this is a rebuke. We can go ahead and just call it that. It's a rebuke. Jesus says to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Which is a very powerful question. 
He's saying, you could have actually not have seen me and still believed. Those eight days, you could have trusted in the word of Mary, trusted in the fact that my linen clothes were there, trusted in the fact that the, the 10 other men that you've been walking with three years have experienced me and would not lie to you. You could have trusted that. But you decided to not believe. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He says there is a blessing for those who end up believing in Jesus and on Jesus for their lives, but they lack some proof. And so they, they begin to search for proof. They begin to want to see what is it. He says, believing, not seeing. That's not blind faith. It's a faith that's searching, a faith that's seeking, a faith that's trying to learn. A lot of people have said they've lost their faith in the pandemic. What do you do when you lose something that's valuable to you? Well, I, shoot, I lose my keys all the time. It's part of the package of having me as a husband. Amen. Amen. Lose my keys all the time. What do you do? What do you do? Well, when you lose your keys, here's what happens. I lose my keys. I lose my keys, and I announce I have lost my keys. <laughs> I cannot find them. Now, there can be a type of friend that goes, I lost my keys the other day too. Man, we, we just be out here losing keys. We some key-losing people. Man, I wonder where they're at. Just, man, that's, people be losing stuff, right? But there's a person like my wife who goes, you lost your keys? Okay, all right, come on. All right, and here's, what, here's, here's, here's the first question. Someone who's really trying to help you find something you lost that's valuable to you. They say, where was the last place you had it. Oh, no, no, I know you can't see it over here. I know, I know you don't see it, but, but, but track back with me. Where was the last place you had it? And then you start saying, I know that it's, I know, I know that it's, I think it was in my pocket, okay. And then my wife will say, do you remember having it outside of here. And then I'll say, no, because I know I had them last night when I went to bed and I haven't left out. So my wife will do this. She'll say, so we know it's in the house. Right? She'll say, we, we know it's here, right? So, so we know it's not out there. You're not going to find it if you go out there. So it's in the house, right? So like a good friend, she starts searching with me in the house for what I've lost that is precious to me. And then what happens is this. Over time, see what happens is I'm really bad at this. And even my daughter, she's, she's really good at this. And so now we start looking in the house. And then all of a sudden, my wife will go, I got it. I got it. I got it. I have what you have been looking for. 
if you help me, if you let me search with you, I'll find it faster than you find it on your own. It's in the house. And what I'm trying to tell you is, I understand that we've had all types of things happen this past year. I get it. And I get that you've been isolated and I get that we've been alone. But I can tell you right now, if you're going to find that faith that is precious to you, the first thing you got to do is when did you last have the fire of the Holy Spirit churning inside of you? When have you seen him? What have you? No, no, I'm not saying what he has there. What did he do last? Do you remember when he brought you through that situation? Track back to where you last had it and look and be where, be in that moment where he was with you, when he was walking with you. No, track back to that. And here's what I want you to know. It's in the house. Like it's not out there. You got to find it in here because we are a bunch of people focused on that. And I, and I can tell you right now, memes might be created and Twitter might blow up with people who are leaving and deconstructing and avoiding. It doesn't matter how popular the person is. The reality is, I don't care how bad a church is. Find another church. But like my grandmama said, can't nobody do me like Jesus. Just nobody can, nobody's going to do, I, I'm sorry, I'm not leaving Jesus and I'm not leaving Jesus' people. I'm not doing my own thing. It is unhealthy. Doubt is directional and it's meant to drive you to Jesus, not away. That's the intention of doubt. It's meant to drive you to Jesus. And the Bible in the book of James says that do not doubt. And he says you're double-minded. But that doubt he's talking about there is a the kind of doubt that makes you go this way and that way. And what we're called is to press in. Press into the word. Press into prayer. Press into fellowship. And that's why we have the local body. And so I charge you today, to those of you that have heard this message and have heard this word, and you're with people that are deconstructing their faith, do not, do not discourage them to deconstruct. Do not discourage their doubts. Encourage their questions. Encourage their inquisitiveness. Pray with those who are hurting. Walk with the people that feel like they've lost their faith, but also charge them that the safest place to find your faith is in the house. Father, we love you. We can't do anything without you. And we trust you. And we ask even now, would you stir us up as we reunite, would you stir us up? Would you stir us up to be who you've called us to be? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. 
Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.